Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a topic that, well, quite frankly, we need to be talking about if we're going to be talking about midlife, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. I like to call it the big M. Um, it's the topic of menopause, you know, and it's something that we all go through, and we all have very vastly different experiences of it. Like, I have friends who breeze through it. And then there's others like me who felt like they got hit by in the face by a two by four. The commonality is that we all have it. And I think the more that we can bring this conversation to the surface, I think the better all the better we will be because I know after I started researching it for myself, I learned so much that I didn't know. And I think that's probably one of the worst things about menopause is all of the surprises that you have. And then you come to realize that this is oh, this is all perfectly normal. So with me today, I have a mentor and educator, Tanya Elferzy, I hope I said that right, who uh, focuses actually on the topic of um, educating women on perimenopause and menopause. And, you know, we've talked about it before on the show, but uh, Tanya brings a little bit of a different perspective to the table. And so I'm excited to kind of dive in and uh, find out a little bit more. So welcome, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about kind of what you do and then maybe a bit about how you got to where to this place of becoming an educator on this topic. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so tell us um, your story, basically. <laughs> how did I end up here? So I'm soon to be 50. And uh, when I uh, turned about 43, I started experiencing symptoms, but I didn't know what they were at the time. And so I, had, I went from being a very healthy, well, right at that time I was mum of the three quite small kids, and they're bigger now, obviously. And I had, I had spent uh, six years as at her mum. And I, since I'd become a mother, I hadn't really picked up any of their viruses, but they were bringing home from school <laughs> and nursery school. And I went from being very healthy and happy, optimistic, to the first thing that happened was that my immune system really started collapsing almost because I was picking up every single virus that the kids brought home. And I thought, well, that's weird because that never happened before. And then I experienced some hair loss. And I was like, okay, there's something going on. And, and so I went to acupuncture. And the acupuncturist was able to boost my immune system and, and stop the hair loss. And I thought, okay, well, that's it. I don't know what that was, blip in health. <laughs> but then along came uh, migraines and eczema and different skin issues. And the biggest thing that was uh, affecting me was that my mood swings were, were sort of all over the place. And I was feeling very, very much not like myself. And I didn't know what was going on. And it took me about two years to hear about um, what I now know is perimenopause. And I know you said you've talked about it on the show before, but that's just, I like to go back to basics in terms of mm -hmm. what's going on. 
unfortunately, yeah. useful. And perimenopause is understood as the years prior to menopause. So it could uh, be up to 10 years uh, before menopause. Mm-hmm. Menopause has become this t- point in time, just yeah. one year after your last period, and then you move post-menopause. And what's interesting about this is that once upon a time, menopause wasn't divided up into different sections. So it has become divided up into different sections, I think, because of medicine wanting to know where a woman, trying to know where a woman is exactly (laughs) in terms of menopause, even though that's really difficult and it's just guesswork most of the time, and because of hormones, because of uh, prescription of hormones. So that's why they want to divide it up. And there's a problem because we can come into our 40s and we think, well, if we hear about menopause, we're probably not thinking that that's what's happening to us at that time in our 40s. And this is what happened to no. me. I, you know, I, I thought I didn't need to think about menopause. That was a 50-something thing. And what's happened over the last few decades is it's moved from becoming a 40-something, 50-something woman's thing to a 50-something woman's thing. And so I had no clue about that I was going through games of the change. And I heard a webinar by Dr. Kristin Northrop that maybe some of your listeners have heard of, and if not, look her up, because she's very important. I do do reference her quite a bit. (laughs) And she said, lots of women in their 40s are going through what she would describe as PMS on steroids. And I heard that, and I thought, wow, that really sounds like me. What, PMS on steroids? That sounds exactly like me. And that was the first time I'd heard about perimenopause. And I was absolutely shocked because I thought I had quite good knowledge of women's health. (laughs) And I didn't. I didn't know that this could go on in our 40s. And so I asked all my 40-something friends, do you know that we might be going through, you know, the early stages of menopause in our 40s? And nobody knew. And I thought that was really peculiar that all my women friends didn't know about perimenopause. And and, and a lot of women were going through, were experiencing symptoms. Mm -hmm. So... I started doing uh, more and more research and I had time. I had, I had written a book. My, my coming out of being a stay-at-home mom, I'd written a book on motherhood and I'd been marketing that. And so I had time to sort of look in a new area and I was like, okay, I'm going to look at this. And if I ever find a cure for my symptoms, I'm going to share that cure. And I was really aware of this education gap that we come into our 40s and then we might be going through the change. So what happened was is that I researched, I started researching perimenopause and menopause for another few years, and then I was able to cure all my symptoms naturally. And, and then I was like, okay, this is really interesting how, how I've cured them because I, I didn't have to fiddle with my hormones and I didn't have to take loads of supplements and I, ch- I just had to make an internal switch. And with that, I was able to cure my symptoms. And I thought, well, this is, this, I really need to share this and so I set up um, thewiserwoman.com and through there I write and share um, my experiences and my knowledge and I help women um, through going through perimenopause and menopause and allow them to have a very different experience of what many women experience and ultimately reduce and cure their symptoms. So how is your, I want to say process, or your system, or maybe it's not even that. Like, how is your approach? Here's a better word. How is okay. your approach um, different than than a mainstream approach or what a woman would normally come across for dealing with? Because every woman I talk to in this stage of life is dealing with some kind of symptom, you know, some small, you know, others, you know, seriously impacting their lives. So how is your system or your approach different in terms of helping women deal with those different degree of, of, right. of symptoms? Right. So there, there's, uh, symptoms are 
not what we think they are. <laughs> um, we, we look at symptoms from sort of Western medical approach of looking at, well, what's wrong with the body, right? And the symptom isn't, isn't a sign necessarily that there's, you know, the body is malfunctioning, but it's a sign that the body wants to get our attention. I 100% believe that, yes. Okay. <laughs> Ask with any symptom, right? The symptom of any illness any, is your body sim- trying to get your attention, for sure. Right. So any symptom, like for me, you know, I had I had such a wide variety. I also had the night sweats and, and you know, all kinds of things that are commonly associated with, with perimenopause and menopause. And it didn't, there wasn't something that I had to do about the symptom. That's how I was treating it to begin with. And because I thought, well, before I knew about perimenopause, I thought, well, I need to deal with symptom by symptom. So if I had eczema, then I needed to deal with something to do with my skin, right? And if I had migraines, then I needed to be dealing with some pressure points or something, you know. And I had an alternative approach anyway, but I was like very much dealing with symptom to symptom. And then when I came across perimenopause, it put it in a framework for me. And But immediately you can get taken down this idea of your hormones are somehow getting it wrong. And to me... That approach didn't make any sense because I thought, well, why would my hormones get it wrong? Right? <laughs> why, why have like I've been through coming from the moment I was born <laughs> to being a baby, a toddler, a girl, uh, adolescent girl, young woman, a woman, and then I had you know my three children naturally. Then it's like, well, why would my body not have needed intervention through all those stages of development? And then somehow I come to midlife. And it seems like I'm falling apart, right? But but why would my hormones get it wrong? Like, would it mean that our bodies were wise like all those other years and then somehow we just lose it? You just got stupid at some point. Right? And the thing is that modern medicine's approach to menopause today quite encompasses that idea that women's bodies don't know, right? And if you look at the approaches to menopause that evolved out the last century, it wasn't only that women's bodies didn't know to journey through menopause. Women's bodies didn't know how to give birth, right? At the same time as people were developing these theories about, oh, uh, what, what women need is, well, they called it ovarian therapy at the beginning, and they were feeding women ovaries from animals, right, when, when they were reaching the menopause because they thought the woman is defined for her reproductive role. So when that ends, we need to... Give her what's missing. So if her ovaries have stopped, <laughs> let her ovaries. Oh, okay. I know. That was the earliest hormone therapy, and then it developed. They sort of started to understand about hormones, and they were able to isolate hormones. And then it was like, well, we, well, that was the development. Oh, well, they must need those hormones that their bodies are naturally depleting. Yeah. And like I said, right when those ideas were coming out, they also, you know, Menson also thought that women should probably be put to sleep in order to give birth. And that was the standard practice, certainly in the US, until the 1970s or even 1980s in hospitals across the US, that women were put to what's called a twilight sleep. So many women of our age, if they ask them, well, maybe they've had that conversation with their mother, you know, how were they born? Many women of our age were born through twilight sleep. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And so what used to happen is that women without even consenting or understanding what was going on would be put to sleep to give birth because why would a woman be involved in her birth, right? Because she doesn't know, right? And then then the baby would would come out and often they would have to use forceps because the woman wasn't involved. So she was like in this like passed out state. And then she would come to wake, to wake up, and the baby would be groggy, and she would be given the baby, and the baby 
like she wouldn't remember giving birth to the baby. So that affected the connection. And then the doctors would tell her, but you should feed the baby formula milk because that's more nutritious right. for the baby right. than your right. breast milk, right? So this is the idea that's coming through medicine. And when it comes to women's bodies, that women's bodies don't know. We don't know how to give birth. We don't know how to produce optimum nutrition for our babies. And we don't know how to move beyond menopause without supplementing the hormones that our bodies are naturally decreasing. So interesting that for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, women's bodies did what women's bodies did. They naturally, just like every other creature on the planet, naturally know how to give birth, know how to be involved in that, you know, and then even through menopause, right? We intervene in this very, very natural process, right? And thinking we know better than nature, right? Right? How, I mean, I think we're, I think as a culture, we're starting to kind of come back around to, hey, your body does know it, and but it's still very, very, in its very, very early stages where the human body is constantly talking to us, is constantly giving us direction. Right. Have stopped listening. Right. Right. And yes. And what's so interesting is that when hormone therapy was really first introduced and they were started to market it, the idea that that they used as to why women needed hormone therapy was because once women never used to live beyond menopause. Right. right? Yes. Now that argument is never used against men, right? Never. Like, oh, maybe men are having something going on with life because they never used to live this long. No. That's only used against women. And it's actually a false argument. It's based on the idea that if you look at life, average life expectancy charts over the ages, you see what they call like a hockey stick view of average life expectancy over the ages. So you go back to the 16th century and you look at the graph and you say, here you go, women were, were dying off average age 40. So that's why women are malfunctioning at midlife because they were never supposed to be on midlife. But it's a misinterpretation of, the, of the, the numbers involved because average life expectancy through the ages was very, very low compared to today because infant mortality and child mortality was very high. So right. in the 16th century in England, for example, one third of children didn't make it beyond six. Two thirds of children didn't make it beyond 16. So when you put that into perspective and you realize, oh my goodness, right? If you, it, like a woman could have three children, one could die at the age of one, one could die, you know, at the age of 10, God forbid. But this was happening very, very regularly. But then once a woman made it through to adulthood, she had a good chance of living through to her 70s. And that's what we also see in contemporary hunter-gatherer societies, where we see that the average age, like once, once they get through that difficult time of, of infanthood and childhood, the average age of an adult, let's say, if they measure it from 16 or 18, is into their 70s. And that's in hunter-gatherer societies that they're, they're not impacted by modern medicine whatsoever. So like I said, that, that was this idea, and that's carried on until today. Like I, can, I can't tell you the number of doctors who I've seen writing, saying that idea, that women were never looked at medicine. And I know that on your blog, you've talked about whales, orca whales, living beyond um, menopause. And, and they're a perfect example of, like, yeah. we're not so extraordinary. And they have a purpose to play yeah. as a post-menopausal whale. And we have a purpose to play. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. It's so fascinating to me that um, there's all this, um, there's all this history and all this information that we have completely just taken and just kind of dumped. It's just kind of like dumped it over our shoulders. And it feels like in a lot of respects, like we're starting from scratch. Like I remember going to my MD, you know, first suffering and 
you know, and she's a woman, or else she's a younger woman, but woefully inadequate. In fact, I was educating her on, oh, I think I'm perimenopausal. Oh, I think this might be as a result. And she's like, oh, no, no, you're too young for that. Or, you know, no, you're not even close and all of this type of stuff. And it's just, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that women report feeling like they're going crazy, that they're losing their minds, you know what I mean? Because they're experiencing something that's really real and in a society where we're trying to deny it even exists. Right. Right? right. Yes. Uh, and I, so... I, <laughs> I had the same experience well, like when I heard about perimenopause and I was trying to understand how I was going to cure my symptoms. I went to my uh, a general doctor, GP, and she also told me, and, and I, I know she has a background in women's health. And she said to me, you're too young. And at the time I was like, five. I was like, I'm actually not too young. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for, because the dogs are also like, they, they've got very much into the heads of, well, we measure the hormones. And I can't tell you the number of women who I've seen, they're like, well, I went to have my hormones tested and I have all these symptoms that are commonly associated with the menopause or perimenopause. And the doctor told me I'm too young or I'm not yet in menopause. Yeah. And, like, yeah. you know, other women will say, well, the doctor told me I'm post-menopause, but I'm still menstruating, you know, because the computer says... Right? Right. And that's what right. become when yeah. it's really yeah. difficult to test hormones because they change yeah. throughout the day, they change day to day. What we've come to is this reductionist outlook of like, oh, it's to do with the women's hormones. No, it's actually not to do with the women's hormones. It's to do with a woman moving through change. And when the woman's life is out of balance, things are going to start showing up downstream right so why do you think it is then that as women we have such varying degrees of symptoms or experience around menopause so like i said i mean i have friends who pretty much carried on you know not not much uh, and others who of us who seem like nothing was left untouched why is it that women have such varying differences in this experience okay so i think it's because first of all our bodies are the same and yet our bodies are, are different mm-hmm. and we all have certain sensitivities. So for example, yeah. my hair are a pretty good indicator of how I am in life because when I was a teenager, I had incredibly sensitive skin. When I was pregnant, I had a lot of eczema for each pregnancy and lo and behold, I came to midlife change and I had a ton of eczema and rashes and sensitivities, etc. Okay, not every woman is going to experience that. My skin is my open window. Okay, for other women, it will be their gut, right? That they have sort of IBS flare up in their teenagers when they're pregnant and they get it midlife with it. And then for other women, it'll be something else. And so we all have got like these certain sensitivities or like open windows, like I like to call them. And they are the way that the body communicates with us. They can be the way because the body can't come out and say, hey, you know, something's out there, right? It, it shows up in, in simple, that's, that's how it shows up. And really, we can only experience our symptoms through our thinking. So hmm, that's interesting. When I, was, when I was experiencing my symptoms, and like I said, you know, I had been incredibly well and healthy and you know, I never used to get sick. And so w- when I got sick, I suddenly thought that that was very peculiar, right? And I had a sort of like zero tolerance. I was like, well, this, I don't, I'm not used to this and this shouldn't go on. And, but let me have, you know, let me deal with that. And so I had, a, you know, thoughts about what my symptoms represented. And then when I was experiencing all the PMS, which was basically I was having from ovulation to to my period, um, I was having 
like going into this incredibly sensitive time and, you know, crying a lot, very, very uh, unlike myself. And, and I thought that because I hadn't experienced it, then I thought, well, I'm going crazy, right? So it could be that some women have symptoms and don't really think about it too much. And it could be that some women have symptoms and think a lot about it. And, and it could be that really what appears to determine is that where we are in terms of our state of mind as we're going through menopause, because we're all going to have fluctuations of hormones, like everywhere, every woman in the world, like her estrogen is going to drop eventually because her period is going to end. Yeah. Right? So, it, so every woman experiences that. But what actually Dr. Christian Northrop talks about is that you can test two women who have the same levels of fluctuating hormones prior to menstruating, for example, and only one will experience PMS, right? Mm -hmm. So it's actually not the hormones. It's something that's going on on top of the hormones. And for so many women, that's our levels of stress and how we understand our levels of stress. So we can, so sometimes it will be something to do with the diet. I'm not saying it never is. For sure. Sometimes it will be something about our movement and how much we move in life. And for some of those will be the amount of sleep that we're getting. And so you can, and I've seen women say, oh, you know, I've gone to a plant-based diet and nearly all my symptoms have cleared up. And, and yet I also work with a lot of women who've been on plant-based diets and they're still really experiencing symptoms yeah. and they're eating really healthily and they're moving and they're, you know, active, et cetera, and still experiencing symptoms. So there are some women who can, you know, tweak the diet, start exercising, and they'll see a massive reduction in symptoms because that's what the body wanted to tell them. Right. There are other women where it's like much more in a world. Yeah, it's really um, one of the things when I read Christiane Northrup's book, I think it was Goddesses Never Age. I think it was that one where she talks about um, the degree of your menopause symptoms being equal to how misaligned you are in your life from your how, how misaligned you are from your truth. Or from like your body's truth, right? So to the point that you're making, you know, if your body has really wanted a plant-based diet, then your body's going to tell you, you know, in certain terms that you must go plant-based now, right? And it'll give you all of those symptoms. And for me, when I read that, it it was it stuck with me in such a huge huge way because I what I did recognize is that there were several parts of my life that were out of alignment with my truth, like the truth of who I was, the truth of what I wanted out of life. But you know, as what typically happens, you get on the track and you just go, you keep going, you keep going. And you know, there were times where I looked back and I was kind of like going, how do I end up here? Like, is this really where I wanted to end up? Right. And started to realize these, these gaps between what I wasn't even really willing to admit to myself deep down, <laughs> right? From that to the truth of actually what I wanted. And for me, when I read that, it was like, oh, this is the time. Like my body is telling me in no uncertain terms that you now have to start aligning with these truths in your life. It's like you can no longer pretend. You can no longer wear that mask. You can, you must now face it. And, you know, and just like anything, the human body is in such an amazing structure that it can tolerate anything for any period of time, but at some point it's going to break down. Like it will not continue forever. Right. And so when I read that point, that point in her book, I was like, Oh wow. It was really an eye opener to what I had been experiencing. Right. The way I understand it is there is a point to this madness of what we experience in them. I a hundred percent agree. And, And because we come from a position of, Oh, you know, um, the, the body's, you know, just going out of control and the woman's body doesn't know and, and we need medication and we need to be fixed, then we miss out on the core brilliance 
of a woman's body, mm-hmm. right? The woman's body knows. The woman's body knows how to journey through menopause. And it's in the interest of the body, of the divine, however you want to look at the way the energies like map out, and of the species that we live long, happy, healthy lives, right? Mm-hmm. We have roles to play post-menopause. And we're supposed to, you know, I call that's why I set up my business as the wiser woman because and and similar to yours right we know stuff and we have a role to play to share that wisdom to share that knowledge with younger generations right and if we lived in a society where elders were respected guess what the chances are we would have a completely different experience of menopause right because that whole journey to becoming an elder would be one of you know that we we would respect for ourselves and other people would respect it too but instead we're given this idea of no it's like malfunctioning and downhill from hell and etc etc and lo and behold you know in the west we have the highest levels of symptoms you know, any country, yeah. any country, and you go into less developed countries, and women experience menopause differently. Yeah. And I mean, in Japan, they don't even have a word for menopause. It's such right. an issue. <laughs> right. They have or, or the word translated means something like new spring, or like right. Name, right, something like that, which I found super interesting. It's like right, and wow, surprise, we have surprise. Such the negative, the opposite perception. It's like the death, the end, right? And they're like, right, oh, right, right. right. So when you look at it like the Japanese and they're talking about regeneration and energy shift, etc., then what that like what's so interesting is that research that was done on uh, Japanese women at menopause that they didn't even necessarily associate it with the end of menstruation. Mm-hmm. It was just understood to be this time of change that occurs at, with women at midlife. So rather than like we do in the West, like go and have your hormones tested so your doctor can tell you if you're in menopause or not in menopause so that you can take some hormones, there is this idea that this change is happening, right? So if we all came into midlife understanding, are we going to meet change? And and it's for the good because it's part of the design, right? All women experience that. Then we would have a very different experience. What I understand is that it really is part of the design that at midlife, the body's saying, okay, now we're looking towards these decades that are going to be in the future. And I am now going to protect you in the more sensitive time as you age, right? It doesn't mean that chronic disease is inevitable. It's not inevitable. What we did in our 20s and 30s, like almost ignoring that we have the body. Yeah. <laughs> guilty, and, guilty. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> we just like, oh, we can eat whatever and not really exercise and not really do any self-care, you know. And, and just think, oh, well, that's okay because I've got enough hours in the day and I just want to sleep enough and I'm just da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, midlife, the body's like, oh, no, right? I let you do that then. And not every woman gets away with it when she does that in her 20s and 30s. But, but the body generally does let us get away with it. And then come midlife, the body's like, okay, now you need to learn something. Mm-hmm. Now you need to learn how you create good health. Yeah. And that is going to serve you in the decades that come. And that is going to allow you to step into your wiser woman role and serve the species. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the days where you could miss a night of sleep and then rebound? Now I miss a night of sleep. It takes me four days. <laughs> it's like, oh no, sister, you're not doing this again. Nuh-uh, we're going to make you pay for it this time. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. And I was reading an article about, you know, some ancient tribes like in uh, African tribes and things like that, where when a woman is post-menstruation, she then joins the tribe uh, or the, the, uh, the council, the elders council. So no woman is allowed in the in the male elder elders council until she has finished 
menstruating. And then that becomes the place, the time where she moves on now to share her wisdom, right? And I was just like, that is so beautiful compared to, again, you know, what we do is like, okay, it's the beginning again, shove to the backseat, wait, wait to die, you know, wait to retire, you know, retire from active life. And it's just it's so refreshing to see these different visions of how women are treated because, you know, in our society, you look around, you don't even see an older woman, like women in their 40s and 50s, represented in media anywhere. And if you do, it's like bladder leakage protection or, uh, you know, <laughs> energy supplements or retirement ads. And I was like, okay, you know what, maybe we need those things. But there's a whole other side of the story about how amazing women are. And as a woman, and I know this was true for me, when you start to look around, you're like, okay, so where do I fit in now? Like, I don't see myself represented anywhere. And so it's no wonder we feel like we've lost our value. Right, right. right. We don't see it reflected back to us anywhere. And that's, you know, it's so important. Like as humans, we need that validation, right? Like we need to know, we need to know that there's a place for us. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking that so clearly right now that it's like, you know, the whole of society is created. The structures of society aren't created with women's life cycles in mind. Right. No, that's and where, I mean, and what happens is, is that we just like think, oh, we can just fit into this existing society that hasn't taken us into account. Right. And so you have the ridiculous situation, whereas in the US, you don't have federal maternity leave. Like that is right? mind boggling to me. Right. And that's just like one of those examples or where they were putting women to sleep to give breath, right? Because it was just convenient. Like that's what doctors thought needed to be done. Male doctors thought needed to be done. And so that's the way women gave birth. And, and so there were women like just trying to fit themselves in to the, to the structure, to the hospital, to the, to the, you know, how we're supposed to give birth, how we're supposed to manage after birth. And when it comes to menopause, like there is no place, you know, there is no place. Like, First of all, there is no place and we get no space. And secondly, like the whole identity of a woman, of an older woman, of a menopausal, postmenopausal woman just isn't seen, like you said. Like so so we have this idea of like, oh, we should never change, right? Yeah. Because we need to just keep coloring our hair and we're, you know, looking younger and staying sexy, and that's what we need to do. And it, and if we do that, then maybe we'll be accepted into this space, into this society that doesn't have a place for us anyway, because exactly. we weren't yeah. part of constructing it. Yeah. It's so true. So true. And I just read something else the other day that said something about the average American is exposed to daily, consciously and subconsciously, over 3000 images of what the ideal woman's body or what the ideal woman looks like. And okay, those images are not real to begin with. They're, you know, photoshopped and touched up and everything. But we are bombarded, like literally everywhere we turn about this being the ideal. And, you know, younger women are doing it too, trying to fit this, this unrealistic ideal. But then when it comes to, you know, us as aging women, again, no wonder we're buying, you know, hair dye and record amounts of plastic surgery and all of the other things that we do to try and fit this ideal that doesn't really exist. It's been manufactured and created. And right. it's just really interesting to me how, how unconscious all of this is. It's going on in the back of your brain and you don't even realize what's happening to you. Like right. I completely, that's not to say that I think every woman should do whatever she needs to do to feel her best. And if that means dyeing your hair, then so be it for you, right? But being aware of where you're trying to mold yourself into something, into an unrealistic ideal of your age or that 
seeing that your value is in how, your only value on the planet is in how you look is where I think we have completely fallen down as a society. And I think it's going to be women like us and all of the women of our generation who, I mean, we are, I, I kind of call us pioneers in that we're the first generation of women to have you know, held um, motherhood along with full-time careers and, you know, living active, busy lives, being athletes and CEOs. And we are leading the charge now on how this is going to shift. So the more that we can step into our own power at this time of life, the more we will leave that legacy for the people behind us and hopefully maybe change the way and not in our lifetime for sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, but maybe that's the way that we think about women at this time of life, that there is actually a place, that there is actually a role. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. So, so interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. No, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to ask, so um, what is, you know, so if one of my listeners here is in the throes of, you know, major menopause symptoms is feeling really down about herself or, you know, is just struggling with getting through the day. What is kind of your first recommendation of a place to start to, you know, to, to basically get a different outlook or to maybe well, her symptoms or, or change her mindset? Yeah. So I always say a good place to start is by really trying to understand that your body has a brilliance. Within. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it has a divine brilliance within that never stops, right? As long as we're alive, that's just flowing through us, right? And so if we can take our whole situation and just like just turn it a little bit, say, well, maybe if I'm not malfunctioning, right? Maybe if my body is trying to tell me something, then what what do I need to know? Right. Right. And this is the starting point of a completely different journey through midlife because like I said we're supposed to change we're supposed to evolve we're supposed to meet like a new energy level right and I don't think we need to suffer to get there and and you know if women need to take supplements or hormones you know I never tell women do take this or don't take that like Mm -hmm. in my case how I reached the understanding that I reached and was able to cure my symptoms I had been doing like acupuncture and healing and 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 bath remedies and herbs and potions and lotions and and everything. And I suddenly realized, oh, all of that is just turning down the volume. Mm-hmm. And and when I was doing that, I wasn't, I couldn't hear, right? And, and it wasn't that I was cured. There was always something going on in the background. There was, all, and it was a lot of work and a lot of money, you know, running to different treatments and taking different potions and et cetera, et cetera. And all the time trying to, then another symptom would pop up and another symptom. It's like playing like, whack-a-mole. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized, oh, you know, this was my journey. This doesn't, this isn't going to be everyone's journey. This was my journey. But I realized, oh, I just need to calm off everything. And then I'll hear what my body wants me to know. Mm-hmm. And I did that. All my symptoms came back full force. And it was in that place that I managed to hear something new. Now, I'm not saying that that's where every woman needs to be. And sometimes when we take a supplement or a hormone or whatever, then it, it takes us out of that very, very sensitive time, which is midlife change. You know, that's how I understand midlife change. It's just a sensitive time, just like our teenagers, pregnancy, postpartum. These are all sensitive times that the sensitivity is created through the hormone fluctuation, but the symptoms aren't created through the hormone yeah. fluctuation. Yeah. That's the difference. So if we can just move into that position of, well, what if my body is brilliant? Right? What if there is this innate wisdom running through me? What if it never stopped to run through me since I was born? Then what does my body want me to know? And then it may, you may just hear, it's about listening to that guiding voice, that 
that wisdom that can always show us we don't need to you know see where we're going to be 10 steps we just need to see the next step and then the next step and so maybe for some women it will be you know oh maybe i should try and you know reduce the amount of meat i eat or take out gluten or reduce sugar or not drink alcohol like you know there may be these messages that come through and for so many women it will be about well what is the story that I'm carrying around in my back? Mm. If I can just put that backpack down. And if I can just understand that stories are made of thought and the story is the thought that we take seriously. But it is a thought, right? It's not something I can touch. I I can't, you know, it's not a form. It's a thought. So if my story, which so often, and my, it was my story too, that I'm just not enough. Yeah, a lot of our stories. <laughs> yeah, a lot, like it, and it doesn't really matter. It's not enough because, you know, I used to be like this in my career and then I had kids and my career went out the window or because I uh, was in my high-flying career and then I didn't stay at home when I had kids and now my kids are like this, so I'm not enough as a mom. Or it's, you know, my mother never loved me, so I'm not enough. Or, it, you know, whatever, whatever. Is, it comes down so often to, and thus I am not enough. And when we realize that that is a thought, right? That's just a thought. So if it's just a thought, it can change because thoughts always change. Thoughts move through our heads. Thoughts come, thoughts go. And we're the ones that make them into like Broadway productions, right? I was the one when I heard I'm not enough, I failed. You know, for me, it was like I failed to some of these books I published self-published and and you know even though the book had won awards and stuff and I, I was just like had piles of them everywhere because I thought I was going to you know I'd set these really high sales targets that I was going to reach and I didn't reach them and we'd invested a lot of money in the book and I was like oh god you know I used to be the brand to be able to earn and I used to be able to and, and I'm not enough I'm not enough and not enough and and every time that thought came through my head I took it seriously I thought it was true and I thought that because it made me feel so bad and because you know, wherever I looked it was like oh, I'm not succeeding and I'm, and, and, you know, and, I, and trying to succeed in your own business and then that impacts how you are with your kids and the amount of time you spend with them. So I'm not mother enough and I'm not succeeding enough and I used to be the breadwinner and what kind of feminist am I now that I can't earn the money that I thought I should be earned? All of that, whenever those, all those stories, whenever they arose up, whenever they arose, then it's like I thought they were true because they made me feel so bad and they made me cry and I thought that that meant they were true. That didn't mean that they were true. The tears, the fear, the feeling of not not enough, the feeling of feeling small, that was just my body guiding me the state of my mind in that moment to the quality of my thought in that moment, right? And it was guiding me without judgment. It's like, oh, you're, you're right now, you're having those thoughts that make you feel bad. doesn't mean because you feel bad, those thoughts are true. No, the bad feeling arises when I'm having those sad thoughts to show me that I'm having those sad thoughts and I can just wait, just wait. I don't even need to try because this is what I was also doing uh, before I managed to kill my symptoms. I was, you know, gratitude journaling, positive uh, thinking, you know, vision boards, you know, just trying to get my way out of it. And then when that wasn't working, meditation, then I just felt even worse because it's like, well, I'm doing all this stuff and it's not working. And, you know, I can't stay positive. And I keep hearing that thought. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you hear that thought 100 times a day or 100 times an hour or a minute, right? It matters that you understand that that is a thought. And therefore, yeah. that thought doesn't define you. It didn't, it, those thoughts yeah. never define me. 
a man can never define any woman. Yep. This. this is so true. I actually got goosebumps when you talked about <laughs> the story that you tell yourself because it's something that I've been super conscious. Like we are programmed with stories from the smallest of childhood and that we carry these with us, right? And I've been making a very consistent effort to challenge the stories that I tell myself on even the smallest of things. So I'm in yoga the other day and the teacher is demonstrating, you know, a pose. And immediately I go, oh, well, I'm not flexible. I can't do that. And I was just about to ask her to look for the modification. And I was like, but how do I know I can't do that? Like, where's the evidence? Is this real? Or did I just tell myself that? And then I thought, okay, I'm just going to try it and see. And oh my God, I did it. So I was like, oh, look at that. Yet another place. And that was a really small incidence of the stories that we tell ourselves. And like, I mean, like all of us, I have big stories I tell myself, <laughs> you know, about things I cannot, can and cannot do. So not only are there the stories that are, that, that we have carried with us, but then there's the stories that are fed to us from the outside world about what, you know, what a 50-something woman can and can't do, you know, what a 50-something woman should and should not look like, like all of these other societal expectations that we then put in on top of the story. So, you know, it's like, oh, I want to run a, ma a marathon, which I don't. I'm just using this as an example. I hate running. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, oh, well, you know, I should probably should have done it when I was younger. You know, it's really not probably the best time to start running in my 50s. Again, it's a story, right? It's a story that you actually picked up from the outside world. Inside, if you were like, oh, hey, I've never run before, but wow, I could try that. Maybe I will run a marathon. You know what I mean? A totally different perspective. But so our stories plus the stories from our culture about what we are in are not supposed to be or do or say or whatever it is, it's, again, it's no wonder we often get to this point of life and, and feel like stuck or paralyzed. Right. Because there's right. all these things, like all of these these limitations that we take on that right. really don't belong to us. I mean, even right. the stories that we carry with us, they don't belong to us. We pick them up somewhere along the way. Right? <laughs> and then they think, and then we think they're ours and we need to keep them. <laughs> keep carrying yeah. them. Every day. And the other, the other thing that I recently came across is the need to be right. It's like that when we build these stories, we will defend these stories to the death, right? Like we need to be right. And then, and there's some stories that you picked up in childhood that were part of your own safety or survival mechanism that really did feel like life and death. But once like all these other stories that we carry with us, we will defend them. If people challenge us, we will defend them and we will keep defending them because we need to be right about that, right? Like from an egoic standpoint, we need right. to be right. And as soon as you start challenging going, huh, but am I actually right? Is that true? <laughs> it's amazing how you can come to see the lies that you, like literally the lies you've been telling yourself. <laughs> it's so, right. so fascinating. Yeah. And the thing is, what's so interesting and what I saw through insight that, that really cleared all my symptoms. I thought I was going to, like at this moment, I thought, well, I'm going to cure my PMS because it seems like I've understood something on the emotional level. Mm -hmm. But I cleared up my night sweats and my migraines and my eczema. Like, and, and, you know, you can't explain that if you have to stick on to the estrogen theory of, <laughs> you know, my estrogen is is dropping so that you know that's what's going on but the insight that I saw was like when well, I need to set my thinking seriously and actually I think it's going to be easier if I don't yeah right so it's even though we think we need to carry the backpack with the stories it's actually easier if you just put it down yeah right yeah. and nothing is going to happen when you put it down yeah. and so like a good example that you know I, I speak to a lot of women about you know they're 
they're tired and 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 we think fatigue is a symptom <laughs> needs to be fixed yeah if you're tired you can take a nap right <laughs> it's like it's not not allowed so okay but if you're in the office like all day then you know i don't know if you, you could find like a little table to rest your head on but <laughs> yeah. Right? Maybe some offices have that, you know, ability to, to give you that little afternoon. Yeah, break. not most of them. <laughs> it's, but even like women who, who are self-employed um, or who have like more flexible hours, they're like, no, I can't take a nap, right? I'm exhausted, but I can't take a nap. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, what would happen if you do? Like, what could happen if you yeah. take 10, 20 minutes, you know, in the afternoon or even something more? like there are whole cultures, you know, you go to Southern Europe and, and you know, everyone is taking a nap. And if you tried to do any business with them in the afternoon, you'd realize that the office was closed, right? right. Tried to eat in a restaurant. <laughs> in Spain, like after two or one thirty, like you'll say, oh no, because everyone's having a nap. Right. 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 No one thinks of it, you know, very much because it's just part of the culture. But then we're exhausted, just like teenagers are exhausted, just like pregnant women and postpartum women are exhausted because we're going through this hormonal change because our body is putting energy into that change and it needs, you know, a different level of energy. And we think, oh, well, I can't take a nap because X, Y, Z. Yeah, it's lazy or, you know, people will think this about me or, yeah, it's, I, I, you know what, it's so true. I will totally admit to that one. Like the concept of taking a nap took me a long time <laughs> to wrap my head around. You know, and especially like, you know, when I was in the height of like, it was probably a good year where I didn't sleep, like at the height of my insomnia, even then I would like lie down and feel guilty for some reason. Oh, I should be, I should be. And I'm like, wow, like you're exhausted. You haven't slept in a year. It's okay. Relax. <laughs> right? Right. Right. And it can be with all kinds of, you know, life circumstances that we create this story around it. No, I can't not go to that party or to that event or to that, you know, or to show up for this work something or, you know, says who? Because like, and so often I tell them, well, imagine if you were pregnant, like you would get all these like, you know, uh, pass go cards, <laughs> you get all these free out of jail cards, whatever. I don't, I can't really think of what, what the metaphor should be. Right. These free passes. And people would say, oh yeah, you're pregnant. You know, you can do, you can, you can fall asleep in the afternoon or you can not come to this event because you're too tired. Or you, And so you know, pregnancy, yeah, it's more intense and it's just over nine months and perimenopause, menopause that can last over a decade. But that compassion that we can sometimes, not always, by the way, but sometimes women can, can, can offer themselves during pregnancy. And sometimes even the medical world will, you know, if a woman comes to the doctor with symptoms, the doctor's not going to say, oh, well, you know, you need to go in and fix your hormones because I don't know why you're so exhausted or why you're, you know, you're angry, right? All right? The doctor will say, well, are you working too hard and you're too stressed? Here, you know, take a week sick leave, right? Because there is that understanding. And yet, again, it's, it's about going back to like, who's created the rules in society and where do women fit in? And so yeah. there is yeah. compassion for the woman who's going through perimenopause or menopause and experiencing change. And her body's working a little bit differently. And it needs that preservation of energy because it is putting energy into change. And so we yeah. give teenagers freedom or we give pregnant women freedom. And, and then when it comes to menopause, women are like, oh, no, but... I need to, you know, cook the dinner and I need to do this and I need to do that. And I need to uh, take, take my child yeah. to hear their yeah. And we don't give ourselves that pass to yeah. just uh, slow down, really. 
slow down because so many times that's what your body just wants yeah. you to do. Yeah. It wants you to slow down physically and it wants you to slow down like mentally as well. Yeah. Just slow down, slow down. For sure, for sure. Well, this has been a super fascinating conversation. Uh, I loved it. We could probably talk, keep talking for the next three hours, but I won't do that to you or to the listeners. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe we'll have to have another conversation at some point. But thank you very much for spending this time. And um, where can people find you? I think you have thewiserwoman.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Okay. So all one word, thewiserwoman.com. And that's the best place to find me. And there's lots of resources on the, on the blog, lots of articles to read about insomnia and libido and and all kinds of other symptoms that women experience and and really look, it's a good place to start to try and see oh what what if my body is brilliant like yeah. what, how can i experience you know midlife i i just love that question like what if my body is actually brilliant and what if my body knows what it's doing like i love that thank you for sharing that with us and you know to all the listeners if you ask yourself one question today or, you know, when you're in the throes of symptoms, what if my body actually knows what it's doing right now? I mean, I think that is the question. That is the question. So thank you so much for sharing this with us and again, spending the time with me and everybody go check out thewiserwoman.com and read more of Tanya's stuff. I love the historical perspective as well, too. Um, I think that puts a lot of things into context, uh, understanding where we came from and knowing that we're going to change it. So. Right. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in. 